0: I have such a privileged position being able to sit up on the front row because I can hear the sound of your voices just uh, coming over me. It sounds so beautiful. And particularly, I can hear the children who are behind me singing these wonderful songs. I wish you could hear that. You can't hear it from where you're sitting, but it's absolutely beautiful. Let's take our Bibles and open to Psalm chapter 6. For the public reading of Scripture, this is the inerrant part of our service as we hear the Word of God. Psalm 6 will be our Old Testament reading and then we will go to the New Testament and read from First John. Psalm chapter 6, to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith, Psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Now over to 1 John, near the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, the first Ten verses. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Oh, and when we read verses like this, how they drive us To the only hope that any of us have, and that is the hope found in Jesus Christ, who alone is righteous, who alone defeated sin, who alone never compromised. How we praise you for sending Jesus, who came into this world Not so that the world would be condemned, but that the world would be saved. Oh, Father, we pray this morning that we would take our guilt and our shame and go running with them to Christ, who never turns away the brokenhearted, the humble, and those who mourn. Please, Father, we pray Magnify Christ in our midst today. Help us not look at ourselves, but at our Savior and rest in Him. Father, we know that there are brothers and sisters among us today who are hurting and who are grieving. We pray especially for our brother Jim, for the service that we'll have tomorrow night as we remember Ashley. And any other heart in this room, Lord, that is filled with grief, O God, we pray for your comfort. Lord, help us to be your people in this world. Help us to live our lives for Christ clearly and faithfully, depending every hour upon his mercy. For we pray this in Jesus' name amen amen
1: i would like to um, have permission to share something we've been going over in youth Um, this this morning and last week we went over the 23rd psalm and in my study for this i came across something that just anytime i see something like this in scripture it just blows my mind and gives me a greater appreciation for the word of god that We're talking about the name of of God, and we're looking at how in Scripture there are seven compound titles for the Lord. You have Jehovah, I can't remember all of them, but Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, uh, Jehovah Shammah. And so we're talking about how in the Lord's, uh, in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord, all compound titles are represented in that Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, Jehovah Jireh. He leads me down uh, paths of righteousness, Jehovah uh, Sidcanu. So we're looking at all these Hebrew words. And so we were talking about the personal name of God. And I heard someone say, you know, if you ask a Muslim what the name of their God is, lowercase g, they'll say Allah. But Allah is only uh, Arabic for God. And so we're talking about how our God is not some impersonal far-off God you can't know, but he has given us his personal name. Even in the book of Exodus, what we know of is Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah. And uh, if you look, the name of God is given as four Hebrew letters, uh, Yod, He, Vav, He, or what we would think of as a Y, a H, a W, and an H. And so we're looking at the name of God in all the places in Scripture. And there's one that is particularly amazing. And when I'm thinking about this next song, The King and All His Beauty, it reminds me of this. That when You remember the story when Pilate was going to put above Jesus, uh, this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the Pharisees came and said, don't put that he was the king of the Jews, put that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I have written is what I have written. And what you come to find out is that he wrote that phrase in three languages it says in scripture, in in Greek, in Hebrew, and uh, Latin. Well, in the Hebrew, wouldn't you know that those four, there's four Hebrew words there. It's Yeshua, Jesus, Ha-Nazarai, begins with an H, of Nazareth, King, Mamelik, M- I don't know if I'm saying these right, but that would be like a, what we think of as a W, and the last word of the Jews would be Ha-Yehudim. So there in that title was an acrostic, Y-H-W-H. And whether Pilate did it knowingly or not, he put the personal name of God above our Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh, Yodhe Vavhe. And so I got to thinking about that and um, the song we're fixing to sing here. And you know, all of us are going to face Jesus as King. It's dependent on our exception of His sacrifice on our behalf, of whether we will face Him as the King in all His beauty. Grace and mercy, or if we will face him as the king of righteousness and judgment, holiness. And so, my prayer for each of us here today is that we would all be prepared to meet the king in all his beauty and righteousness, that we will leave and forsake all sin, that we would forsake the way of sin and follow after our good shepherd and king. So, I thought that would encourage you all this morning just to see the word of God once again blowing our minds. At the little things that uh, the Lord has placed in there for us to discover and just once again be blown away by His uh, omniscience. He has truly put together the Word of God. This is not just uh, a book that contains His words. It is the very Word of God. So I'm encouraged by that. I hope you'll be encouraged, and I hope it encourages you to get in the Word of God. And to study every jot, every tittle, because not one bit of it will pass away, our Lord Jesus says. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that our Lord Jesus is our King. That, Father, you are King, and you are a King of beauty and righteousness, perfect in your judgment. And, Father, one day you will judge Every single person that has ever lived on this earth. And Father, I pray that we would be ready to face you as the King of beauty and mercy and grace. And Father, I pray if there are any here this morning who have not, who have not had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who have confessed their Lord Jesus as Messiah, Lord and King, risen Savior, that Father, they would do so and not delay the time is short. You said that nearly 2,000 years ago. You said the time is soon. And so, Father, we should treat every day as uh, a sense of urgency to get out the gospel and to be ready and prepared to be cleansed of our unrighteousness and unholy agenda and allow you to fill us, Father, with all that you'd like to. We love you, Lord, and we just ask for your blessings on the rest of this service, on Pastor Greg as he brings a word, and that Father, you would accomplish what you desire in the going forth of your word. We know it will not return void. We thank you for this promise, and it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Please uh, thank Jacob Lindsay for coming and helping us this morning. He's you can be seated, and he's gonna offer for you. Yeah, let's go ahead and have the uh, ushers come forward to take the offering. And uh, Jacob is going to sing a song for us this morning.
2: Good morning, church. I just want to dedicate this song to my papa. Um, He is such a man of faith and the other day I was sitting with him and asked him if he could list me some hymns that I could work on and I expected him just to you know say the name and instead he just breaks out into singing this song uh, with all of his heart so this is dedicated to my papaw Don Dawson I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses And the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me and He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known He speaks and the sound of His voice Is so sweet The birds hush their singing And the melody that He gave to me I stayed in the garden with Him Though the night all around me is falling But He bids me go through the voice of woe His voice to me is calling And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known.
0: Before I begin, I want to say first of all, just a special thank you to those who were involved in helping us honor our veterans today. It was a beautiful time of honoring our veterans. I'm so grateful as a pastor. I'm so grateful for a church that that sees and understands the responsibility and the importance, the value of honoring those who've served our nation. We're so thankful for them and for their families. Uh, God bless all of you, and thank you again, church, for and the volunteers, everybody put the flags together, the cards, and everything. Um, thank you for that special work. And then also, I want to say a word of welcome to a couple of friends of mine. Where where are they? Let's see. Uh, there there they are. There's, uh, James and Lloyd have driven up from Saudi Daisy, uh, from the church where I was serving previously, from Miles Strait. They drove up, took them several hours. Just wave at us so we'll know. Right there they are. And it was so kind of them. There was a knock on my door. And it was Rocky, and he, he opened the door and, and walked those two fellows. And I am so honored that you all would drive all the way up here this morning to be with us. And uh, we, we thank you, and we love you. We're so proud of two men in the Lord like you, and thank you for the encouragement today. My title is Who We Are as Christians as we continue our new exposition of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So, if you will, find 1 Corinthians 1 1 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 1. As Paul writes to the Corinthians from Ephesus uh, somewhere around AD 56, he mentions. At the end of the first verse that there's an associate who is there with him whom he refers to as our brother Sosthenes. Do you see that at the end of the first verse? Our brother Sosthenes. Now this is tantalizing because page back to Acts chapter 18 for a moment. Acts 18 and look at how Luke tells us how the gospel first came to Corinth. So hold your place at 1 Corinthians 1. Go back to Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and let's hear this scripture. Here's how the gospel arrived in Corinth. You'll see why this mention of our brother Sosthenes is so interesting. Acts eighteen one. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So there's the gospel coming to Corinth. Well, this spawns in verses 5 through 8, the usual opposition from the unbelieving Jews. So that Paul leaves the synagogue and begins teaching Uh, the Word of God teaching the gospel, instead in a private house next door. And uh, no doubt this is an arrangement that Paul believes is going to not last very long. Then, though, comes this reassuring vision from the Lord in verses 9 and 10, which strengthens Paul to remain in Corinth some 18 months. Now, let's pick up at verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Serious charge. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And verse 18 says, or 16 says, he drove them from the tribunal. Now, verse 17. And they all seized Sosthenes. Some of you may have a translation that says, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. That would be because some of the Greek manuscripts contain these words, the oldest manuscripts that we have omit them. But they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and here it is, beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now I have a lovely daughter named Lydia. Those of you who know our family know my daughter Lydia. And she has this saying, and I can hear her saying it now, as, as you look at those words, she would say, what the world? They all seized Sosthenes and they beat him in front of the tribunal and Gallio paid no attention. What the world? The CBSC says the surrounding crowd, of whom no doubt most would be Greeks, catching the tone of the magistrate, prepared to follow up his decision by a lesson of their own, of a rather rough kind. Sosthenes had probably been the spokesman of the Jews. And Jew baiting was not unknown in those days. So with impunity, the crowd could wreak their own vengeance on these interrupters of the proper business of the court and beat Sosthenes before he was out of the magistrate's presence. Now, here's what makes 1 Corinthians one one so tantalizing. Is this the same Sosthenes... Paul calls our brother. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. Now, it's true that Sosthenes was a common Greek name. But notice this particular Sosthenes, that name means savor of the nation. Notice this one needs no further introduction to the Corinthians. It's just our brother Sosthenes. They obviously know him, don't they? Now, which Sosthenes would the Corinthians know? Hmm. Let's see now. Wonder if they would know the synagogue ruler in Corinth. I bet they would. This just about has to be this Sosthenes, which would mean then that his beating ultimately became a blessing. Because he went on to become a Christian himself, and then he goes with Paul to Ephesus, where Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians. Now you say to yourself, now wait a minute, no Jewish synagogue leader would ever believe in Jesus. Well, if you back up, back over there at Acts chapter 18, at verse 8, I skipped over this verse deliberately. Acts 18.8 says that in Corinth, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Friends, if... The Holy Spirit could open the eyes of one synagogue ruler could He not open the eyes of two. May I just say this morning that whether or not this is the same Sosthenes, I'm I'm convinced it is. But whether it is or it isn't, Christ is mighty to save. Don't rule out people Getting saved, even those that you may regard as the worst people. You may have heard this week in the news that Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was censured by the U.S. Congress. Did you hear that? For quote, calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. End quote. Now, censure is—it's a public rep, reprimand. It's uh, the the sternest disapproval of your colleagues. Uh, that, that you can receive Talib had published a pro Hamas video complete with the phrase from the river to the sea. She then issued a statement explaining from the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction or hate. Which is exactly what that is. From the river to the sea is a nihilistic death chant threatening a new massacre of the Jews. The river is the Jordan River. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea, which together signifies the end of Israel. Now, I'm not making this up. Surely, if you've studied it any, you know that what I'm saying is the truth. But let me just show you this uh, post that i found um the other day from the river to the sea palestine will be free and you can't see it there i don't guess but that's flowers and uh, there's a mosque in the middle and and in the middle of it all is the word palestine that's what's meant By from the river to the sea, it is the destruction of the state of Israel. And by the way, let me just say, this is an open call for genocide. And it's being chanted on university campuses across this country. Did you hear where the University of Maryland is investigating student-led calls for quote-unquote Holocaust 2.0? The University of Pennsylvania president, Liz McGill, recently acknowledged a rise in anti-Semitic acts on campus, including, quote, swastikas and hateful graffiti, as well as chants at rallies captured on video and widely circulated, glorifying the terrorist atrocities of Hamas, celebrating, praising the slaughter and kidnapping of innocent people, and questioning Israel's very right to exist, end quote. And can you guess which slogan, was beamed up onto the buildings at that university doing a recent light show from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. The vilest hatred. But, here's my point. If the Holy Spirit could open the eyes of a synagogue ruler, And then open the eyes of another synagogue ruler. And before that, open the eyes of someone who hated Christians like Saul of Tarsus. Can the Holy Spirit not open the eyes of Rashida Tlaib? Can he not open the eyes of Muhammad Uzzah? The university students, the university professors, see my point? Don't rule out even those that you regard as the worst. Because Christ is mighty to save. He is mighty to save even them. He is mighty to save even you and even me. That's who Jesus is. He's the Savior. Mighty to save. Now we come to 1 Corinthians 1, 2 to 3, and to who we are as Christians. Recapping verse 1, shall we? We're working our way verse by verse, word word by word. Paul called that means authoritatively summoned. Where was he called? He was called on the road to Damascus. He was divinely sent for on that road, remember? Paul called by the will of God, not by his own will. And not by some other man's will. No, he was called by God's will. His unstoppable, inexorable, gracious purpose. God called him what? To be an apostle of Christ Jesus. A sent one commissioned by the anointed one, the Messiah Jesus, to be the Messiah's envoy. And our brother Sosthenes who may also have served as Paul's secretary for this letter. Verse 2, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace, encapsulating the entirety of Paul's gospel. Grace being the source of every blessing and peace being the result of when grace finds its home in your heart. Now listen, that's the reason why some of us are so troubled today. That's why our inside is so tumultuous. Oh, if people only knew. You see, what we need is the grace of God. We need to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we receive Christ in His grace, peace begins to flow. No Jesus, no peace. So come have grace and peace this morning. There is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee, for you. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved unto him who was nailed to the tree. Now notice in verse 2 the amazing ways that Paul describes who the Corinthians are. First, They are, he says, the church of God that is in Corinth. Corinth. Of all places, Corinth. A city renowned in its day for its debauchery and its wickedness. The New York City, Las Vegas, and let's say the San Francisco of the ancient world, all rolled up into one. That was Corinth. But even there, was found the church of God. Isn't that amazing? The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, no ordinary assembly, but that assembly specially belonging to God through Jesus Christ. The church, the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12, the new covenant community of believing Jews and Gentiles made up of those who have consciously trusted in Jesus Christ. The church of God, not the church of man, any man, right? Like, say, the church of Paul. It's not the church of Paul. The church of Peter, the church of Apollos. See, all these men, they had admirers in this congregation. No, the church of God It's a genitive of possession. It's the church that belongs to God. This is God's church in Corinth. And the Corinthians are members of this church that was established and purchased with Christ's own blood. Do you see who they are? Jesus said, I will build my church. Ephesians 2.28, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church, as Barnett says, is a living body, not a dead institution or a lifeless pile of bricks. This body belongs to no local leader or minister. It belongs to God himself. For he bought the church and its individual members with the precious blood of his own son. And so Paul describes the Corinthians first as the church of God in Corinth. That's who they are. And second, they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Set apart. That's what that word means, sanctified. Set apart from evil. As holy to God and dedicated to His service as saints, as holy ones. This is the Corinthians standing before God in Christ. Positionally, they are set apart for God's possession and God's use they are set apart from the world and its wickedness to be his own holy people those who are hebrews 10:10 have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of the body of Jesus Christ once for all acts 26:18 those who have forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me The Corinthians are the church of God in Corinth, sanctified, set apart unto God himself in Jesus Christ. You say, now wait a minute, the Corinthians don't exactly sound sanctified when you're right. There's a lot that's going on in Corinth that needs to be corrected and repented of. That's why Paul's writing his letter. But positionally before God, as Paul addresses them, their standing is sanctified in Christ Jesus. Don't confuse this positional, instantaneous sanctification with the sanctification that's progressive, that varies in your life as you grow in practical holiness. It's progressively by degrees separating God's people from the world and molding them more and more into the image of Christ. That's progressive sanctification. This is positional sanctification. They are positionally sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's who they are. And third, they are called to be saints. There's that word again, called we saw it in verse 1. We'll see it a third time on up ahead. Paul says the Corinthians are authoritatively summoned. They have been divinely sent for to be saints, literally holy ones. That's their presence standing before God. We sing an old hymn. It's one of my favorites. It's called. It goes, love with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know. Gracious Spirit from above, Thou hast taught me, it is so. Constable knows that the Corinthians were certainly not saintly in their conduct, as 1 Corinthians makes clear, but perhaps Paul mentions their saintly calling to inspire them to be more saintly in their conduct. They were saints who were sinning. And not just in Corinth. Paul says to the Ephesians, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in which you've been called. The Corinthians are the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's who they are. And then fourth, they are sharing the same position as believers in Christ everywhere. Notice the rest of the verse call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. In other words, God's church extends beyond Corinth. There's the church of Jerusalem, the, the Ephesian church, the Philippian church, the Galatian church, the Thessalonian church, the Colossian church. They all share the same Lord and the same head. You see, they're all calling upon the same Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, who can tell me in the Old Testament, who did people call on? Whose name did they call on? The name of the Lord, right? The the covenant name that Joseph shared, Yahweh. Genesis four twenty six. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. First Corinthians sixteen eight. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, the Lord. Call upon His name. Psalm twenty two four. David says, "I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies." The psalmist says in Psalm one twenty verse one, "In my distress, I call to the Lord, and He answered me." So you see what Paul is doing here. In assigning to Jesus the highest possible place. Look, we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the New Testament, it's another example in the New Testament of the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, these are four ways Paul describes who the Corinthians are. As he begins this letter, they're the church of God in Corinth. They are sanctified in Jesus. They are called to be saints and they share the same position as believers in Christ everywhere. It's all right there, verse 2. The question is, why begin the letter this way? I mean, Corinth, we've talked about it, haven't we, now, several weeks Corinth had so many serious problems and they all required immediate attention. Why, Why start this way? There were divisions in the church, factions in the church, loyalty to different leaders, gross immorality tolerated inside the church. There were ugly disagreements, class divisions between the wealthy and the poor, lawsuits between members And these lawsuits were public. They were going out in the courts and arguing in front of unbelievers, suing each other. Confusion over marriage, arguments about food, conflict over women's involvement in worship, abuses of the Lord's Supper, misuse of tongues. And on it goes. Why not pick one of those problems and just jump right in? Why does he start like this with who the Corinthians are? Because he wants what they're doing in Corinth to line up with who they are in Christ. He wants their practice aligned with their position. That's the burden of the whole letter. That what the Corinthians are doing be in line with who the Corinthians are. And they are God's church. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are called to be saints. They are sharing the same position as believers all throughout the world. That's who they are. And brothers and sisters, here's the point. That's who we are. We're God's church at Mill Springs. We are part of the ecclesia. We are his called out ones. We're not just some assembly. This is not just some gathering. We're not just some group, but we are God's possession. We are God's church. That's how we've got to think of ourselves biblically. And we are sanctified in Christ Jesus, positionally set apart for God, set apart from the world, set apart from sin. To be God's holy people. We are called to be saints. Effectively summoned by God Himself. To be His holy ones. In an unholy world. And we're part of this massive work of God's. We're numbered among those around the world. Who call on Jesus' name. Confessing faith in Him. Witnessing To him, worshiping him, praying to him—that's who we are. And God wants what we do at Mill Springs. As by His mercy we seek to rebuild, He wants what we do to line up with who we are in Christ. Our practice aligned with our position. There's only one way we can fail, church. You know what that one way is? If we fail to be biblical, if we turn our back on this God's Word, the only complete, sufficient, and infallible rule of faith, life, and practice, the Bible. Be faithful to God's word, and I'm telling you, we cannot fail. Because Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one to whom I will look, God says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Believe God's word, live God's word, tell God's word, and Mill Springs, we cannot fail. But brothers and sisters, count the cost. For which of you, Jesus said, desiring to build the tower does not first set down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. To be faithful to God's word is easier said than done. Were it easy, every church would do it. It requires a most difficult action, turning a deaf ear to the world and refusing to listen to the culture. No matter how loudly it screams, no matter how forcefully it pounds the table, no matter how menacingly it demands compliance, I saw this headline yesterday evening about 6 o'clock. No way I could miss it. If you saw the news, you'd, you wouldn't have missed it. Jamie Lee Curtis, you recognize that name, That the actress? She said, anti-gay bigotry being championed in the name of religion, now listen, must be exposed and silenced. Now do tell, Ms. Curtis, tell precisely how in the name of love and tolerance you want those who dissent from your view to be, quote-unquote, exposed and silenced. Could it be that this is the judgment, Jesus said, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, Jesus said, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed But let me warn you, church, and I must warn you to be a faithful shepherd. What's going to make these days that are ahead of us even more difficult will be the compromise of those who call themselves the same thing we call ourselves, Christians. But who are more concerned to go along, to get along, rather than to stand and be faithful for the Word of God. That's what's going to make this really tough. But no worries. Our Savior, this is His church. He will take care of us. We belong to Him. He's the owner. Therefore, we do exactly what He says. What I'm trying to describe is already happening. I want to close with this. I saw this last night from a young Christian on social media. The young Christian said this, I go to a Christian university. I go to a Christian university and the unbiblical garbage that many of my professors, including the theology professors, try to teach us is horrifying. I know of Christians who came in as inerrantists, and meaning they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But after four years, they have abandoned that position because of the professors, the, the Christian professors. With friends like that, who needs enemies? So I replied to this young man, And I thanked him for his comment. I told him that I was including it in this sermon today. And I said, I've I've been in your shoes. I heard and I saw the exact same thing. And I encouraged him to hold fast. Brothers and sisters, what we do here at Mill Springs in coming days as we seek to rebuild has got to line up. With who we are in Christ. That's it. And that means we've got to be faithful to God's word. If we're not faithful to God's word, you know what will happen? We'll fail. And we should, shouldn't we? This community doesn't need an unfaithful church. This nation needs no more unfaithful churches. What it needs are churches who will be faithful to God's Word because they know who they are. Father, thank You so much that we could be together today and be challenged by what we hear Paul tell the Corinthians. For all their flaws, for all their sins, they were nonetheless Your church. And, Father, for all of our flaws and all of our sins, we're nonetheless your church. And we know that you want us to bring our conduct and our practice in line with our identity, who we are before you. So we beg you for grace. Help us rebuild, Lord, and help us rebuild that way. In line with who we are according to your word, trembling before your word, loving your word, And refusing to compromise your word. That word has saved us. Has told us that you love the world so much. You gave Jesus. Help us Lord in the days ahead. Help us God. Come help us please. We beg you in Jesus name. Amen.